I'm Andrew Pearce. It's Monday, January the 3rd. Happy New Year to you. Welcome to another special festive edition of the show. We've got a selection of the best health interviews from the last year. Are we turning into a nation of health signallers, constantly spamming each other with updates about smug fitness trends such as wild swimming, whatever that is, or bath time braggers? Even more fascinating. The female writer Claudia Connor wonders why runners insist on telling us about their roots. She's written an incredible piece in the paper today. So, Claudia, what is it all about, health signallers? showing off and there's there's absolutely yes. nothing wrong in wanting to get fitter wanting to get healthier but it's just wanting the whole world to know about it and and most and most of the people that I'm talking about here are just vain selfie takers um it's nothing to do with fitness it's it's just to do with uh, getting a selfie on social media and showing off explain to me about bath braggers as long as it's respectable because this is a family podcast Claudia okay. we don't no, any yeah. any no smut here well, this is a thing, and it it really sort of took off during the first lockdown. So lots of celebrities posted pictures of themselves in the bath, like Liz Hurley did it, Madonna did it. So surrounded by scented candles, bubbles carefully arranged not to expose any rude bits, um, but all, all sort of beautifully photographed. And the bathtub has to be a very deep sort of, like you normally a freestanding cloth but bath. And it's just, you know, when did when did we share having a bath you know it's... <laughs> yeah when did we um tell me what um a wild swimmer is well wild swimming is is what used to be called open water swimming so it's people who who don't swim in pools so they might swim in in ponds and lakes and 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 in the sea so they yeah they just they swim outdoors especially during winter and they like to show off about it yeah, they like to show off. They they post pictures of themselves sort of being brave and going into the, you know, the, the freezing English channel. And it's, again, you know, fine, do it, but just shut up about it. Exactly. Why do they have to... Build? And, and now, now, I love this, the step counters. Now, I am obsessive, Claudia, about doing my 10,000 steps every day, but I don't bore people about it. I don't really tell anyone whether I've done it or not, but I know today I've done 8,500 steps. I'm going to have to go out for another walk today to get me up to 11,000. But that doesn't make me um, a step counter bore, does it? Or does uh, it make I, me I, a step counter bragger? I think you might be borderline there. Andrew, what, what would you do yeah. if it, it gets to bedtime and you're on 9,000 200 would you have to do those last 800 before you went to bed uh i it would i would have done them already oh okay yeah because i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pace around the flat um because um my two cats i think what's what's the matter with him okay because they know the routine the lights go out and all that but um but i mean your point is it's that it's this it's the show-offs isn't it that's what this has become and do you think it's got worse since lockdown Yes, I do. And these are what I would call the super step counters. So they they would laugh in the face of 10,000 steps They you know, they, they want they're looking at doing 20,000 plus. So which is I mean, that would be about uh, the equivalent, I would say, of about walking 10 miles a day. So, yeah, they would they would not consider 10,000 pounds sort of brag 10,000 steps rather brag worthy. Yeah. And what what is a self-care show off? Oh, so these are the ones that this is all about. Um, I don't know if you recall the sort of the Heidi craze that everyone was talking about a few years ago. So it's a, it's about sort of being cosy at home. And obviously this became a big thing during lockdown. So looking after yourself, having your pyjama day, you know, lighting candles, taking a day off work, things like that, which is a nice thing to do. But again, it has become a social media trend where everybody basically wants to show off 
how nice their living room is and how expensive their sofa was. Yeah. And the self, the self-righteous booze banners was my favourite, as you say, uh, while everyone else is cracking open the Pinot Noir because we got to drink our way through this terribly depressing yeah. lockdown. They're banging on about how there are more calories in half a bottle of wine than in a vegetable stir fry. Yeah, that's it. Well, I think a lot of, actually, I, I did think, right, I'm going to do dry January. But then as soon as the sort of second lockdown was started, that was just out the window. Did you have a dry day? I think I'm, I think well I think I've managed three days yeah do you know actually I am doing dry January so perhaps I am turning into an utter bore but I don't think I'm telling too many people about it and I'm certainly not saying I'd rather have a stir-fried vegetable than a glass of wine because I know what I'm gagging for right now and it's not okay. a stir-fry you're gonna hold out you've so, done well as you've got this far do you think so do you think so yeah. and just finally just finally is it the mediators what are they Oh no, meditators. So people who like to meditate. Yeah. So oh again, yes. Yes. Yeah, so you know, nothing wrong with with meditating, but it's again, it has become about sort of showing off, and it's a certain type of woman that does this. I would say the sort of like the the Notting Hill Trustafarian types who don't have to work and sit around in their expensive loungewear, yeah. uh, cross-legged, showing and off to everybody. Follow, followers of that idiot. A woman who used to be a, a sort of reasonable actress, Gwyneth Paltrow, because she's gone mad, hasn't she? Slightly. Oh, yes. Yes. Well, yes. Gloopy. Her, her lifestyle website. Yes. Yes. It Not has a become. Follower. Yes. It's become a, a trend, sort of meditating, but meditating, obviously, wearing the right clothes and with the right sort of styling. Yeah, background. exactly. Back mm. So, last question, Claudia. How many steps have you done today? Oh, God. You know what? Let me. I, I think I haven't even reached 5,000 yet, which is pretty awful, isn't it? No. Maybe well, that's all right. Yeah. Th that means you're yeah. not a smug health signaler. Well, it does, yeah. I should be, yeah. <laughs> so there we are. Thank heavens for small mercies. Claudia Connor, who is always a joy on this podcast and has written a very, very entertaining piece about smug health signals. I've got to tell you, Claudia, I often go for a walk on the Heath in Hampstead, which is near where I live. My God, they're all out there. Oh, well, you'll probably see the wild swimmers there as well, won't you, in the ponds? Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I know. Oh. I now know what you mean when you talked about yeah. because there are ponds there. Yeah, they're in there wearing very little clothes in icy cold weather, showing off. With their selfie sticks, no doubt. Yeah, all of that as I walk past, wrapped from top to toe in my <laughs> in my <laughs> woolies and my pullies and my bobble hats and trainers and gloves and all the rest of it. Claudia, thanks for joining us. That's Claudia Connell talking about smug health signalers. So what if there were a single treatment that could help heart disease, depression, insomnia, painful joints, even COVID-19? Well, a new nerve zapping technique could do just that. It's called vagus nerve stimulation, VNS, and it works by sending or interfering with electrical nerve signals to and from the brain. Now, VNS is attracting interest from scientists around the world as a drug-free remedy for numerous conditions. I'm joined by health writer Pat Hagen, who's written about this in the mail. Pat, this sounds fabulous. It does, doesn't it? Um, and the key thing there is drug-free. So, uh, you know, one of the things about prescription medications is that even the most effective ones have side effects. So if there is an alternative where you kind of utilize the body's own mechanisms um, without all those side effects, um, it's obviously um, an attractive proposition. Now, this is we, we know about this because there's been a three-month trial at a hospital in Buenos Aires in Argentina. 51 patients admitted with severe COVID-19 were given VNS to 
to dampen down their inflammation. Uh, and what was the result of that, Pat? Uh, the, so, it, it's, I mean, first of all, Andrew, this, it's a small study and it's the yeah. first one in COVID. And obviously the thing about COVID is that people are looking at all types of measures, all types of ways to treat it. But um, it looks promising because they had the, the, they shortened the, um, the stay in hospital. The survival rate was better. Um, fewer patients needed to end up in intensive care on mechanical ventilation. And, and there was a low rate of side effects. So small numbers, but potentially promising as a way of treating people with COVID, but keeping them out of intensive care and, and you know, then the most severe uh, consequences of infection. Um, so that's, that's one area where it's looking promising. It's actually been around for quite some time, a couple of decades, in fact, and, and where it really um, came to fruition was in the treatment of epilepsy, um, where it's been used for a, a number of years. The, the difference here is that in epilepsy, um, it involves uh, quite a complex procedure, implanting a kind of matchbox-sized device into the chest, connecting it up with wires to the nerve as it runs up through the chest and neck, and then activating the implant whenever a patient would feel a seizure coming on. And then the signals, the electrical signals from the implant would travel up to the brain and in simple terms kind of dampen down the electrical storm that's causing the epileptic seizure. But obviously you can't routinely go around putting implants in everyone um, for every condition. The big breakthrough is that in recent years um, they discovered that the, the nerve which it runs from the brain right down through the body and branches off in different directions. One of those areas is to the ear. And so a branch of the vagus nerve can be um, contacted in the ear. And so if you use external stimulators in the form of ear clips, basically, attached to you know a device that you could have in your pocket or clips onto your belt, um, that you can reach the nerve that way and achieve the same results without having to have something surgically implanted. And it sounds, I mean, what do I know, but would it be an expen not an expensive treatment, um, Pat? Not really, because um, this kind of nerve stimulation is used in different forms already. So um, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's not a, it's not, and it's not particularly high tech either. These are essentially just little sort of generators. Um, and it's not a very specific or targeted um, um, impulse that it's generating. You're just um, providing a mild electrical current, which will travel up and down the nerve. And it will, they, I mean, it's not entirely clear how it works in all different conditions, but in some cases it will perhaps block pain signals from traveling to the brain. Um, in other areas, it might stimulate the nerve, so it uh, helps with, um, you know, the releasing of, uh, of uh, feel-good chemicals in the brain that might combat depression. So, no, it's relatively cheap, and if it can be used in the form of ear clips, um, obviously, then you, you get around the risk of, you know, having a, a surgical infection. Anything you put inside the body runs the risk of a, an infection or breaking and then causing problems that mean it needs removal. So um, ear clips that do the same thing would be, um, would be a great alternative. But it's, we're a long way from saying yet that um, the 
the eclipse um, are as effective in all conditions as the actual implant placed inside the chest. Very interesting. Fascinating. And I gather more clinical trials are underway too, Pat, as we speak. More clinical trials and, um, and more and more conditions. I mean, they're, so they're, they're really broadening out the application for it. Um, so uh, epilepsy and depression were two of the kind of front runners. But um, now it's being looked at everything from, um, you know, insomnia to arthritis. And, uh, and, and a key one, uh, a condition called atrial fibrillation. It's a heart condition that causes thousands of strokes in the UK every year. Um, and treatment for it can be quite complex. So if there's a way of doing that by stimulating the vagus nerve easily and safely, then um, that, could be, um, that could be a big improvement. Very interesting. That's Pat Hagen, uh, health writer. Thanks for joining us. So how do you cope when you have a baby at the tender age of 47. Laura Biggs is the owner of Intuitive Events, which organises fertility and menopause events and ended up having a 15-year-old son and a toddler at the same time after she fell pregnant at 47 using a donor egg. She joins me now. So Laura, you're in that position where you're mother to a 15-year-old, so you're probably helping him with his GCSEs and at the same time potty training a two-year-old. Yes, I am. (laughs) How did that happen? Yeah, and and so you got you're ju- you're juggling the whole time. Yeah, I am juggling, um, and it is it's it's bizarre because obviously the difference juxtaposition between the two of them is immense. You know, you've got a teenager who uh, wants to play FIFA and go out with his mates, and I and you know pull away from the family ties, and the other one who's completely dependent, and you're going back to potty training when you're having chats about you know sex and alcohol. It's, um, yeah. It's a different set of parenting skills. Of course. Now, you'd had your 15-year-old. Had you, if I'm not being too personal, had you tried to have another child and you just didn't succeed, which is why you then um, used a donor egg? Yeah, we tried um, for for 10 years. Right. um, And had three rounds of IVF and sadly a miscarriage in between. Ah. So we'd had had a a good go at it and uh, kind of decided when I was 43 that I'd, I'd passed my... Fertility years, really, um, and decided not to try again because it's, you know, for anyone who knows, it's it's a it's a tough process to go through and very emotional and, and yeah. tough on your body as well. Yes. And then um, I, I run the fertility show and sure. and the fertility show we have lots of option, uh, seminars around different routes to parenthood and you know got to, to to hear about egg donation a little bit more, which essentially allows you if you're an older woman. To, to to have a baby because you use basically a younger woman's egg. Yeah. And what age do you think, realistically, Laura, a woman could have a baby with a donor egg? I mean, how much older could a woman be, do you think? Well, biologically, you can have a baby with a donor egg at any age. Right. Um, now, that doesn't make it right because obviously, you know, we're meant to be around to bring up our children yes, and be exactly. able to, to look after them well. Most clinics will give you a cutoff of 50. Some of them have extended it now because, obviously, of of COVID and lockdown and age and so on. Um, And others will will treat it as if you are still having periods, then essentially you could, in theory, fall pregnant naturally, therefore Mm. you can have a baby. Um, I mean, I I was a mother at 35 and I'm a mother now at 50 to a two and a half year old. And Mm. Don't get me wrong, I don't have the energy that I had when I was 35, but I have the wisdom. Um, yes. 
and years of kind of parenting and obviously seeing the different stages. So, you know, it's not for everybody. It's not ideal. I didn't kind of plan when I was in my 20s that I'd be a mother at 47. There's there's lots of good sides about it, but obviously there's the downsides, you know, that you are older and, and you haven't got as much um, energy to run around the playground. Um, and what about it, uh, Laura? People listening to this, um, they they might, because your fertility show this year is online, I think, um, from September the 24th, and you have your Let's All Talk Menopause webinars. But would you say to women who, like you, maybe 45 and still haven't had a baby, that they should consider uh, using a donor egg? Yeah, it's not for everybody. And you have to get your head around the fact that biologically the baby isn't yours. Um, mm. albeit that you've carried the baby and you've given birth. For me, and this is my personal opinion, and I think everybody has to have a, you know, to feel okay about it. It took me a little while to get into that space, but it's a gift. It's an absolute gift, you know, to, for somebody to give an egg is, is true, you know, very, very generous because it's a process that they have to go through. It's quite mm. laborious. But for me, it's given me the gift of motherhood that I was desperate for. Um, and, you know, 10 years of trying, anyone who's tried for a baby for any length of time and has not succeeded with their own fertility because of various reasons, then it is a route to parenthood that can, and, I, and you know, having a biological and non-biological child, I feel no different about them. That was the final thing I was going to ask you, Laura. So um, Isabella was conceived through the egg donor. Do you feel exactly the same about her as you do about your 15-year-old boy? I do exactly the same there's no difference at all and you, you know you hear that with people that adopt children and have their own children as well i mean that's probably a clunky choice of words there yeah the biological children um yeah you, you i absolutely feel no different in fact i feel intrigued about isabella because obviously there's part of her personality and and, and her genetics that we don't know but yeah. um, she's fascinating and yeah she's an absolute gift as far as I'm concerned, and uh, you know, the science and technology that allow you to be a, a mother later in life and to to be able to do that uh, is incredible. Fascinating, really fascinating, really fascinating article, and um, really fascinating to talk to you here on the podcast, Laura. So, best of luck with you and your, your kids, and best of luck with the fertility show. That's all we've got time for today. I'm going to be back tomorrow with our regular show. The Andrew Pierce Show. Have a good evening and good night. Mm-hmm.